And that's what acting is. It's not that we're pretending to be something. It's that we are seeking the part of us that is that character and bringing it forth. Because we all have all the aspects within us. We are all capable of, you know, you can either be the, the, the bad dad or, the, you know, the hero dad, right? We have all aspects of that. And I ended up just playing up that particular aspect of myself. But it, yeah, I was uncomfortable at first because I, I didn't really vibe with, you know, having ra- been raised by my mother, it didn't really vibe with how I thought my mom would want me to behave. So in that sp- aspect, it was, it was a rebellion. It was mischievous. And I think that's one of the allures of the show is it's, it's an indulgence in that lifestyle, which is, and by the way, in, in the show, there's no consequences, right? So you get to do all these horrible things, you know, being a naughty boy and get away with it. I'm Doug Bopes, personal trainer, best-selling author, and entrepreneur, and I'm on a mission to help others become the best version of themselves. So I'd like to welcome you to the Adversity Advantage podcast, where we will help you use obstacles, failures, and setbacks to give you that edge needed for success. I'll be interviewing people from all walks of life on how they overcame trials and turned them into triumphs. So please sit back, relax, and get ready to be absolutely blown away by some of the wisdom and stories you're about to hear. Welcome back to another episode of the Adversity Advantage. I'm your host, Doug Bopes, and today's guest is Adrian Grenier. Many of you will recognize Adrian from playing Vincent Chase on the incredibly popular HBO show Entourage. But Adrian is much more than Vinny Chase. Today, he has cemented his place as a change agent who leverages his influence and passion for film to make impactful investments, create meaningful content, and help make the world a better place. Adrian is also an entrepreneur and environmentalist and has started companies such as Ducantra Ventures, the Lonely Whale Foundation, and his newest endeavor, Earth Speed Media. While a lot of you may only know Adrian from his role in Entourage, he has made a radical transformation since that time, and I'm looking forward to unpacking his story and all the ins and outs that go with it in today's episode. So let's get this conversation going and welcome Adrian Grenier to the Adversity Advantage podcast. Adrian, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Of course. And I'm excited to chat with you. A big fan of your work. Love your journey. Love how you've transformed your life. And congratulations for getting married. I know this has been a long time coming for you. I know you're deeply in love with your wife. But I think, you know, a lot of people might not know this, like, this relationship didn't always come easy for you. And I know that at a moment of your life where maybe things weren't going so well, like the person you're with now kind of told you like it was and was very direct with you and actually broke up with you. And it led to you going within and, and having this massive spiritual transformation. So talk a bit about like where you were, like what year was it, what was going on in your life and how that moment shaped you into who you are today. Well, I mean, I'd say that it's not so much that my life wasn't going well, it was perhaps going too well, so well that you talk, you talk about rock, that rock bottom moment, you know, a lot of times you think about that as this awakening where you hit rock bottom and you're awakened. But honestly, I think I was passed out on rock bottom for many, many years because externally, I had achieved everything. I was doing really well as far as external metrics are concerned. Uh, you know, making money. I was, I'd achieved a certain amount of fame and respect and appreciation out in the world. I was a UN environment ambassador. I was doing environmental work. I was now getting into real estate investment and I was a little mini music mogul and doing all of the things. 
and the libations were flowing, the women, the, the, the lifestyle, traveling the world. And so despite the fact that I was skidding across rock bottom, I didn't notice because I was checked out. I was numb to my feelings. I was, I was not present in the reality of my life. I was in a fantasy. I was living very much escaping from my true purpose. And so, yeah, my, my girlfriend at the time, Jordan, dumped me. And, and she really gave me sort of that pattern interruption enough that I was able to start to see what was actually unfolding. And the trajectory that I was in it was going to lead me in places I did not want to be. Yeah. And I've heard you talk about how you were kind of like passed out on this rock bottom moment for some time. And it was just a matter it was just a matter of time before like something happened. Right. And thankfully the thing that happened was, you know, your now wife, Jordan kind of coming to you and helping to wake you up a little bit, because now that's led to this deep, meaningful relationship that you have with her. I did make the necessary changes to win her back. And now we are married. Yes. Yeah. And congrats again. And so I guess like where I want to go from here is like so many people, especially guys struggle with doing the inner work and really going within to figure out like not only what's wrong with them, but how they're going to progress forward, how they're going to change, how they're going to unlearn some of these unhealthy patterns. And I can imagine it probably was maybe a little bit harder for somebody like yourself that you, like you said, your life was going so well, you had been so successful externally. Like what were some of the initial steps you took to develop the awareness around like what you had to unlearn and like what steps did you take to kind of like grow into the man you are today? Yeah, I mean, it was a long process, at least two years. And it was a number of things. And I really, I didn't know what to do. You know, at first I was just lost. And that was the, the most painful part of it is not not really knowing what I'd become, what, what I'd made of my life. And there was this sort of latent depression. Like even before, even before my awareness started to come online, there was some deep-seated nine discontent like something wasn't quite right and I, I really believe that was my intuition that was my deeper soul trying to you know get me to to look to be aware and so a number I did a number of things first and foremost I cut everything off I had to purge the old patterns and habits and lifestyles that I had constructed that I, I spent years and years building and creating as a means to find comfort and pleasure and escape at strategic points throughout the day, week, year, so that I could feel elated and I could feel comfortable and I could not have, I could be numbed out essentially. I was like on a narcotic of sorts. So first of all, I had to just get clean of all of that, all the um, dopamine hits and the indulgences. And so that was, you know, you know, alcohol cleanse, feminine cleanse, abstinence and sex and masturbation and parties and all the, you know, all the things that, you know, I was using to just continue to not feel what my body was feeling. And once I did that, ooh, the onrush of emotion and sensation and confusion and then past traumas. So then that's when I got into that, the deeper meditation and seeking a lot of advice from mentors and reading a lot of books, using plant medicine, just overall, just 
dark night of the soul, as they say, going into a hole and not allowing myself to wiggle out of the experience so that I could start to really uncover what was underneath. What, where I had made that wrong turn way back when I was eight years old, when did I start layering on all of this external validation? How can I unravel all of that so that I can start to rebuild? Yeah. It's so well said. And thanks for your vulnerability and opening up and sharing all that. Cause I can imagine, like, I know you've shared it about it quite a bit, but I can imagine it's still like not always easy to open up and get vulnerable on a platform and, and talk about things that weren't always going well in your life and that you might not have been proud of at the time. Like, do you think looking back that you escaping with things like sex and drugs and alcohol, do you think it was just like the lifestyle that you were caught up in from your success in, in Hollywood and an entourage and what that led to? Or do you, do you, as you look back, do you think you were just like numbing some deep, dark pain from your childhood? Yeah, no, I definitely had some childhood traumas that, uh, you know, and I remember distinctly when I was a very young boy, I had some particular traumas that, that hurt, that I did not want to feel, that were so painful that I decided in those moments to check out and escape and leave my body, leave the sensation, leave the feeling. And we're very good at that. Humans, you know, animals in the wild, when they go through a trauma, they will deal with it right then and there. They will shake it off. They will move because emotions store in the body and the muscles. And so when, when animals almost die, when they escape a predator somehow and they, they leave they'll shake so that they can get all of that emotion. They can just purge it right then and there. Humans, we layer on stories and rationales and narratives, and we're just a different beast. So what I was doing was just not going to feel that. I'm going to like pretend and escape. And, and that's when I got, I guess, really good in acting and pretending, the pretending part. And then that gave me a certain amount of power over my life. But then in, in, in the world, I was able to make a living. And then ironically, I ended up doing well in that. And then I started to get more rewarded for that behavior. And so in my mind, I was validated for everything. And I still never dealt with that core wound, that core need that I had initially decided to skirt. That all makes sense. And I know you mentioned that a lot of this, you you started to really unpack through healing, through meditation, through plant medicine, and where you really had your spiritual awakening moment. But like even early on in your acting career or when you were a kid, did you were you aware that, you know, there was just something that you were just feeling a little off inside and something was going on? Or were you kind of oblivious to that at that point? I guess I had always had the attitude that was oh, what doesn't kill you only makes you stronger. So I would just dismiss. I never really took seriously the things that upset me. I dismissed them. Yeah, and I just really started to build in a narrative of I'm the, the, the guy that lets things roll off my back like a duck, like, you know, just cool, nonchalant, indifferent. And then, you know, of course it would come out in like rage or it in ways in toxic expression when I was maybe in a vulnerable moment, or maybe I'd have a, had a couple too many beers, and then I would all that emotion would come out, right? It's not, I mean, this, I think this is pretty well understood culturally that there's a lot of repressed trauma and rage in our culture. 
but in particularly men who don't have an outlet to connect into the vulnerability and the, the pain that we have. And we're expected to put up a front or be strong. And, you know, there aren't a lot of positive male role models to guide us through those moments to show us that strength isn't just the external expression of not feeling anything, but it's actually a combination of being able to more so to be able to stand in the feeling unwaveringly, but be honest and open about the truth of that, of the pain and um, the collective suffering that we all have to experience and go through as human beings in this reality, this experience that we all share. It's so true, man. And I know for me, like I relate to your experience in the sense where I was always like, what doesn't kill me will just make me stronger. And I'll just suppress and suppress and suppress. And I'll just either not deal with it or I'll end up dealing with it later. And it ended up costing me, it nearly cost me my life from, from drug addiction. And it led to my incarceration and a lot of other horrible things that happened in my life. And it wasn't until I decided to kind of raise my hand and say, you know what? I don't have it all figured out. I got to go back and see like why I was using certain substances, certain things in my life to numb all the pain from my childhood that the real like success in my life came and not necessarily just professionally. I meant like emotionally and mentally where certain things didn't start to bother me as much. I could better regulate my own emotions. I started to surround myself with better people. I started to have like a vision, meaning, and purpose for what I wanted to achieve. So totally relate to what you're saying. I think the audience is too. I want to go back a little bit because I think one of the things that really fascinates me about your story from listening to you doing other interviews is that like when you were a kid, you first got into acting and then you end up getting the role of, of Vince on Entourage. Like it was hard for you to kind of become Vince in the show because it was kind of so far removed from who you were at that time as a person. Talk a bit about that and how you got the role and then what was going on in your mind and why it was so challenging for you. If you suffer from digestive issues like gas, bloating, cramping, even when you're eating healthy, nutritious foods, then you could probably benefit from a high quality enzyme. If you've never tried enzymes, or even if you've tried and they haven't worked, I want you to give this one a chance. As you know, I'm a big fan of the company Bioptimizers. They are one of the few supplement companies who have the best formulations and use the highest quality ingredients and their products work. I asked them if we could organize a great deal for all of my listeners, and they over-delivered. Right now, you can get a bottle of Mazimes for free. All you need to do is pay a small shipping fee, and there's no catch. There's no tricks, no forced continuity, and nothing to cancel. They are so confident in their products that they offer a 365-day money-back guarantee, so I'm positive you'll be satisfied with the results. Mazimes is a 17-enzyme full-spectrum formula, plus it contains all the key enzymes needed for optimal digestion. So many individuals suffer from digestive issues because any protein your body doesn't break down can lead to digestive distress, gas, bloating, and constipation. Mazimes can help ensure that all the protein that you consume breaks down into absorbable amino acids. So I strongly suggest that you head on over to their site to grab your bottle before they either run out or take down this offer. Go to mazimes.com slash Doug Free. That's M-A-S-S-Z-Y-M-E-S dot com forward slash Doug Free, which is all one word, and you will automatically get access to your unique coupon code to claim your free bottle. Limit one per household. Offer is valid while supplies last. You're going to love their products. So go now. Now let's get back to the show. One of my core wounds is abandonment from my father. 
And so there's a part of my narrative that I was like looking to fulfill, which is what is father and, and what is being a man? Because I never had that rite of passage from a positive male role model, but I did have a rite of passage from a lot of, <laughs> you know, maybe less lesser men who taught me how to, you know, womanize, how to cheat, how to, how to sneak and just how to be inappropriate and just, just typically not like the, the most ideal expression of masculinity. And ironically, then I ended up getting a role that embodied that entirely, which was Vincent Chase on Entourage, which is, is the epitome of consumerism and man-child culture <laughs> and, you know, fun show, funny, you know, art imitates life and it reflected a, a truth and a reality of our culture. So it is what it is, but I just, it's just funny that I came into that role and it asked me, and that's what acting is. It's not that we're pretending to be something. It's that we are seeking the part of us that is that character and bringing it forth because we all have all the aspects within us. We are all capable of, you know, you can either be the, the, the bad dad or, the, you know, the hero dad, right? We have all aspects of that. And I ended up just playing up that particular aspect of myself. But it, yeah, I was uncomfortable at first because I, yeah, I didn't really vibe with, you know, having ra been raised by my mother, it didn't really vibe with how I thought my mom would want me to behave. So in that aspect, it was, it was a rebellion. It was mis mischievous. And I think that's one of the allures of the show is it's, it's an indulgence in that lifestyle, which is, and by the way, in, in the show, there's no consequences, right? So you get to do all these horrible things, you know, being a naughty boy and get away with it. And so I got to do that in real life. And then I got rewarded for it, not only financially, but through fame, walking into rooms, having immediate approval from an entire group of people. And more and more in real life, people were wanting me to behave and to act the character because that's how they knew me. So only natural like, human nature to want to please in order to be liked and accepted. And so the more I put on that, that mask of Vincent Chase in my real life, the more reward I got for it. So then it just became a slippery slope where I was like, I might as well just keep doing this because it seems to be working. And then I realized, you know, in the long run that, man, I, I had made a wrong turn at Boise and <laughs> I needed to backtrack. So did you ever feel you were caught up in like an identity crisis, like throughout this process to where you got to a point where you were like, I mean, I know you mentioned you would like mold into the, to the role of Vincent Chase, like outside of the show to get approval, attention and stuff. But even like during times when no one was looking, did you, did you find yourself almost like acting like Vince and not Adrian when people weren't looking? No, I mean, I, I guess I push back on people who feel like, oh, I got lost in the role. It wasn't a role. I mean, it was just me. Like, I think the best actors reveal an honest part of themselves. So it's not so much that I was lost in the role. I was lost in that aspect of myself. So, and it just became easier and easier. And I didn't have, and by the way, the men in my life were all applauding me for it. They were those male role models who, I don't want to say lured, but they, they had a they had an invested interest in me behaving in that way because, you know, God bless them. They didn't have probably the 
positive male role models they could have used. And so I think in the culture, toxicity begets toxicity. And we all sort of indulge each other because we're getting something from it. My friends enjoyed me being that character because they could also indulge the worst parts of themselves as well. And you, you mentioned you have to get new friends, like, or you got new friends. And I think that's true. You know, I was in a group of friends where we were all accepting the worst of each other and not pushing back. We weren't holding each other to account and we were covering for each other. And so same in the, in, in the industry, the Hollywood industry in many ways sat back and they allowed me to exploit myself because it served their agenda. The show was very popular. In fact, you know, like there were a few times and I'm, I'm a pretty arty kind of philosophical person. So I, even during that whole ride, I was still questioning things. I just wasn't questioning the core, the core question. I was sort of skirting around. I was, I made a documentary called Teenage Paparazzo in which I pull back the curtain of Hollywood and Spain and I sort of question my role as like being famous. Like I question that. I sort of deconstruct the mechanism of, of fame culture. And, and I remember when I was making that film, I was being very controversial because I was questioning the whole industry. And my colleagues pulled me aside and they, and they said, hey man, what are you doing? Like you don't rock the boat. We have a good thing here. We could get into syndication. We could get another season, you know, like all the things. Don't fuck it up for the rest of us. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And of course, I get it. I get it. You know, everybody's making money. Everybody has a vested interest in holding up the illusion that somehow people who are famous deserve what they have. And yeah, I mean, I just eventually had to let go of that whole world and come down to earth and start to do something not for myself and my own career and my own indulgence, but now start to serve a deeper purpose and ultimately serve my family and my future children. I love that, man. It's so inspirational. And I, I want to go back to like fame because I think fame is like, it just seems as like the, one of the most addicting things that exists, but it's like something you can't really see. Like heroin is like a physical object you can see. Alcohol, you can see, you know, pot, like other things that, that substances that people might get addicted to, you can see, but fame is just like this illusion, right? So you've experienced both sides of it. Like, why do you think that you got so immersed in the fame of things and why you got so immersed in like being addicted to fame? And why do you think so many people in Hollywood fall into that trap? Irony is that I was always leery of Hollywood. I was leery of fame. I didn't want it. I was I was not ready. I just I could, couldn't. I knew that my psyche wouldn't be able to handle it. So I actually pushed it off for a long time. I had a lot of offers to do a lot of jobs. And I said, no, I really wanted to do indie films. And it wasn't until I was about 28 and I was, I was broke as fuck. I, I had $1,000 to my name. And it was just getting... It was getting old. I was like, man, I just, I, I need some money. It's like, it's about time I get some money. And that's when I finally relented and I started playing the game in Hollywood. Yeah. I mean, look, fame is alluring and seductive because by our nature, we crave attention. 
in ways that other animals don't, right? I mean, we, we need acknowledgement, we need attention, we need to be seen. And in this culture, because of media and because we've lost sort of the tribe, the breakdown of the family unit, we're all over the place, we're lonelier than ever, we're isolated, that it's harder and harder to get that attention. You know, our, our, our fathers are absent, our moms are working three jobs, you know, everybody's on their phones. So the, where do you get that attention? Where do you get it? Well, if you get famous, you get a lot of it. And that's, I think, one thing that's very alluring about it. In tribal communities, you know, when you were a hundred deep, it was like, that's the whole, that's your whole community. That's everybody. There's no radio, there's no television, there's no internet. So we were able to really feel held and seen by our tribe and acknowledged and, and you felt like you had place. Now you got to do the most wacky, crazy things to get the most likes so that you can just be seen. So it actually forces us to compromise ourselves just so that we can be witnessed. And, you know, when you're, even when you're famous, the minute you start to dip, because you feel it, like you really feel it. Like when your show launches and all of that media machine, the marketing is starting to pump out into the, the collective conscience. And then you walk down the street, you feel, oh, I just saw you on a commercial or I just saw the ad for the thing or I just saw your show or whatever. And you feel that acknowledgement and it feels good. It does. And the minute the show is off the air and there's another show that now they're, they're pumping, you feel it dip. Now suddenly they're like watching the other show and you're not top of mind. And even as famous as you are, you still like feel inadequate. Like, oh man, maybe I'm, maybe I've lost it. Maybe I'm you know, nobody again. And so I think that's one of the reasons why you see these famous people doing crazier and crazier things to get the attention, to get that, you know, the fame back. Gosh, man, it's wild. And so do you think along those same lines, do you think that's why a lot of people in Hollywood like fall into the depths of addiction, like drug addiction, because they either can't deal with the fame or when things dip, they just are so insecure with themselves. They can't deal with it. And they're just impatient about getting more of it. Or they just, maybe they, they win an Academy award. And it's kind of like, it's kind of hard to top like winning an Oscar. Like, do you think a lot of that plays into it? I think it's about presence. Mm. You know, a lot of people aren't present. They're not present in the moment. They're not present in their body. They're not present in nature. Everything's mediated and created to give you attention to, acknowledge you i mean commercials even address you they're like you know you know buy one and you get one free so it's all about you and i think yeah there's something really unnatural about that and psychologically unhealthy you know to a certain extent so yeah i think unless you deal with fame it will deal with you (laughs) in some way Everybody who's famous has to deal with that. And even people who are now influencers are having to deal with that. And there's no, there are no elders that, you know, come in and say, let me teach you how to be famous. It's not just that simple. It's not just you plus a lot of attention. It's like, no, you have to actually create a nervous system. You have to create an awareness, a a humbleness in order to not just survive it, but make the most of it and not continue to just you just see so many tragic people who are like you're you're not famous enough you need to do that burger commercial too you know you're not rich enough you need more money now right or you know it's like you're 70 years old and you still have to be the sex symbol right it's like 
Yeah, I mean, where are our elders? Nobody's getting old gracefully and becoming the wise elder that can guide us and teach us the right way of being. We're all clamoring for more attention, more wealth, to be louder, to be more outraged. And now it's, it's like creeped into the political arena. Like everybody's, you're not a politician. Now you're a famous politician. Now you have to be, you know, the most wacky, crazy, aggressive, outraged, you know, extreme of an idea in order to, to get any leverage politically. So yeah, there's, I think there's a lot of sickness in that. And that's, that's partly why I have chosen to come back down to earth and devote myself to earth speed, which for me is the cure-all. Nature is a cure-all for all of, all of our ailments, all of our human woes. Yeah. It's amazing like what you've done and how you've reinvented yourself and just gone from like one extreme kind of to the other where now you're like you said, you're back down to earth, kind of like working on regenerative farming. You, you bought some land in Texas. You're kind of doing whatever you can to improve the health of the environment and staying grounded in nature. But I know this just didn't happen overnight. What was that process like to rediscover like what was meaningful and what was purposeful in your life from the moment that you kind of had this fall from grace and that when your then girlfriend, now wife broke up with you to now like doing what you're doing with Earth Speed, the Contra and the Lonely Whale? It's a matter of totally restructuring your higher order of thinking. You know, what am I aiming for? What do I want? And really, I think that comes down to spiritual meaning, purpose. If man doesn't have God, he'll create his own or he'll become his own God. And I think that's where we're at in our society. We rejected God. God is dead, right? We're science-based. Everything is what we can experience in empirical. It, there's nothing, there's no, no higher thing to achieve. There's no heaven. There's no God. There's no trajectory to, to it, something bigger than ourselves. And so we start serving the ego, the narcissism, ourselves. And so I had to rediscover the thing which was bigger than me, like really get down close to the earth, humble and find a spiritual path. And to me, that's looking at a reframe of why we're here and what we're supposed to be doing and what I'm putting my life force to build and create. And so that was the first step is totally rewriting the narrative. Because the narrative growing up was status, you know, be invited to all the coolest parties, hang out with the coolest people, make money so that you can hang out with people with money so that you can go to all the fanciest brunches and the parties and get on private planes and, and then be now the most powerful God in this godless world. And now it's like, okay, I'm humbled. I'm just a, you know, just a one little me how can I serve the greater good and start looking at nature and the way it's structured, the way it's built, the way it's designed and serving nature, serving, it doesn't have to be God, right? It could be, you know, just a bigger, you know, oneness force. But I had to redesign my thinking because I was thinking I had rationalized and I believed that I knew, I mean, look, my life was great. I could do no wrong. Of course, I got it all right. I'm a genius. So I had to really push against my own belief in myself that I had figured it all out and that I was the man and that I was powerful and that the proof was in my bank account. 
you know, or my hairstyle, you know, there, there, there's so much proof that I had displayed superficially. And once I allowed myself to sort of believe in a God in something bigger than me, I started to walk in a different way. I started to move in a different way. And that took some time to actually practice what it felt like to be completely different. You know, I wasn't doing things just for the show or for, for the attention or, or for the money. And it's just weird. It's just different. I didn't like, I would do things and I wouldn't make any money and it would feel like that I, it was that not successful? Did I not get it right? You know, or if I was trying to date, and this is when I was like really lonely by myself and I knew I wanted a partner, but I was utterly alone. I was like, how can I even tempt a woman? How can I even seduce a woman if I don't have the fame mask, if I don't have the houses to show myself as being successful? If I have nothing, who am I? And that was the biggest question I had to answer. And um, slowly over the, the years, I started to you know, step my way into a different way of being. And like you said, again, surrounding myself with people that I thought were onto something that, that wanted more for themselves and wanted to support me in that. And my new friend group held me in all those hard moments when I thought that I was not going to come out. And after many years, it got more comfortable. I got more... I was more able to allow myself to just be, be without having to need all of that validation. I mean, I often will say, you know, surround yourself with people who have common futures and not common pasts. And I think so many times, Adrian, and I think you kind of touched on this, like people have a hard time, like leaving their friend group because they're, they're comfortable there or the, those people are pulling them back or they're like, oh my gosh, like I've been on a show with them for five years, or I've known them since I was 10. Like, fill in the blank with the example of why people tend to be like held down in a group of people that are not necessarily bringing the best out in them. And I think people need to learn, like, you're not really outgrowing your friends. They chose not to grow with you. There's a big difference between the two. Like people have choice if they want to evolve and grow and continue to be around you and continue to support and encourage and challenge you with whatever endeavors you're doing in the future. I want to talk about success because you kind of touched on that. Like when you first started like going down this new path of meaning for yourself, that like you could sometimes question if it was successful based on the money, and that your whole idea of what success looked like early on in your life was you know, fame, money, houses, how much approval people were giving you. Like, how have you been able to now redefine what success looks like for you? Like, how difficult has that process been? Yeah, from fame and money to farm and manure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to me, I am still very much in a learning phase to steward this land. You know, I have 46 acres and, you know, it's, it's quite a ride, you know, and when you're working with nature, you get humbled all the time, like continuously. And that's part of the growth. That's part of the learning process. So for me, success is not so much, I've had so much failure on the land, trying to get things to grow that it doesn't quite work or getting something to grow. And then, you know, an animal comes and decides that it's so yummy that they're going to eat it, you know? So for me right now, success looks like it's finding mentors, true elders that I've always craved. So this core wound of mine, not having father, not having adult male mentors, I now have in the form of 
farmers. There's so many um, old cowboys here who who are just first they're like taken aback. Like you you want to come do what we're doing. You're interest. You're really truly interested in this. And once they get over the fact that they expect me to be in Hollywood, they are so welcoming and inviting, and they are happy to bestow all of their knowledge of how to take care of land. And that has been the, that's been the most success of my life is having the nurture of an adult male who actually wants to teach and show me and share what they know and impart it to me. And that's been a tremendous success. Amen to that, man. Because I think once you think you you know everything, you, you slowly find out you know nothing. And I think being able to to surround yourself with people that are smarter than you, that are better better than you, that have kind of paved that path forward a little bit further than you, like it can be so instrumental and helpful to be able to achieve whatever it is you're trying to achieve or to like make some sort of like transformation for the good. Like if you're trying to get out of a negative situation in your life, I think having a mentor that has like the life you kind of want to live in some way to talk to, to uh, help guide you, to ask some some good questions, I think is is crucial for making any change. And, and speaking of, of mentorship, you mentioned that you want to have kids and that you're looking forward to that. Like, like how has your experience with not growing up with a father and just not really having that that staple in your life, uh, how has that like influenced like how you're going to parent your kids? Yeah, well, I realized my little boy, you know, he's always with me. Like he's informing, he is speaking to my present self, like from the past and showing me, sharing with me, like how to be a better dad, you know, how to show up, how to be present, how not to leave. (laughs) And so I get to start to fashion what father is, like what the ideal for me would be, you know, based on the, the part of me that was, was missing something. And so, and also recognizing that it's not just something that you don't just tell a kid how to be a good son. You don't just teach them, tell them, but you embody it. You have to be fully realized as a man. So I get to now, before I have children, start start to do all that embodiment work, start to practice, start to feel it out, start to work on myself so that when my child show up, I'm not playing catch up. You know, a lot of times it's like, well, when I have kids, I'm going to teach them how to, you know, do this. And I'm going to like, you know, be a good parent because I know how to be a good parent. It's not a thing in your head. It's a thing that it's in your body. It's a practice. So I get to now every day really, truly work on being the best version of myself so that when my children come, they just feel the presence. They just because when they come out, they immediately start to absorb energetically what they're experiencing and they don't understand language. So they're just feeling you. And it really just mostly comes down to just being present, just staying in it and showing up. And so, yeah, I I very much look forward to having children. Yeah, can't wait. Other than just like being present for them, what else are you looking forward to as far as being a dad that maybe you didn't get to experience as a kid? Yeah, and also developing the skills and a healthy capacity to take care of shit, to work with my hands, to take care of this home and the land here so that when my children show up, I can share that with them and I can bestow that to them just like my mentors are to me. And I can have the capacity to protect them 
So I'm, I've been doing a lot of personal work. I used to be afraid of violence, afraid of my, my physicality. I wasn't strong. I didn't work out. You know, the values of New York City were emasculating in many ways. You know, passive. I was a very passive person, pacifist. And now I'm really developing skills that I feel confident that in the event that they need protection, I can protect them. I'm less afraid of the wild out there. You know, I go out in, in the darkness and I'm not, I'm not, I don't quiver. It was crazy. Like nature scared me. And now I'm able to be a little bit more confident because when I want to be able to protect our kids and I want to also teach them how to feel safe and show them that they can protect themselves one day. I love it, man. Like really like embracing like your masculinity and like developing physical strength and physical fitness, I think is so important for anybody in life, whether you're planning on having kids or not, just because I think of what it, how it allows you to feel like mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. Like what does your fitness routine look like today? Like, are you somebody who goes to the gym? Do you just really get a lot of your activity from the farm? Like what types of things do you do? So I feel very strong, very confident. I mean, I'm 46 years old, so I think I'm doing pretty good. And I've had a lot of physical ailments. I had a rotator cuff and I had a surgery on my leg. So I've had some things to overcome. And I'm very proud that I have, with consistency, gotten those things under control. And, I, and I, I'm still, you know, able to, you know, do all the things that I've always been able to do. Which, as you get older, you know, you're like, oh, this is getting trickier. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's like you, I, you stub your toe and it's like it doesn't go away for it as quickly. Yeah, I see that a lot in my profession. Like outside of doing the podcast, I've been a personal trainer for over 11 years. So I see that a lot with my clients as they age. They, it's just this natural regression sometimes in physical health. And sometimes things don't function the way that they used to. And I think it, people really need to be aware of that and, because they need to understand the importance of doing what they can to get stronger, to get more flexible, to improve their conditioning so that they can continue to improve their health as they get older. Like, Where are you at with your relationship with acting? I mean, do you see yourself, you know, getting back into it ever? Are you being more selective? Like, where are you at with that? I'm still open to acting. I just made a decision that I wasn't going to exploit myself for money. I mean, that's the bottom line is, you know, I, I was willing to do anything just to get that paycheck. So I just don't choose to do anything anymore that will compromise my values. So anything that is in line with what I want to see in the world, if there's a paycheck associated, fantastic. But there's a lot of there's a lot of negative messaging out there. There's a lot of destructive narratives and stories that are being told that are, I think, just poisoning the way we see ourselves and our, our vision for the world. And, you know, it's not like violence on TV is the reason why people commit violence in the world, but on some level, it, it allows us to live in a more depraved state of being. And I think we need stories that inspire us to a, a, a different standard. And so, yeah, like I choose to just find parts and roles and stories that are going to reflect that because I think we as a culture need that. We don't need more escapism, more indulgence. I mean, I, I try and watch Netflix or whatever and everything is so dark and so violent and so oversexed. And I realized that's how I was raised. I was like, no wonder. And then I contribute to that. And 
so I don't know. I mean, maybe I'll do another Hallmark movie. <laughs> or, <laughs> you know, maybe something fun for the family. Maybe some family programming. Yeah. I love hearing your honesty on that. And with along those lines, like, has there been a show that you've watched over the last few years that you got to actually enjoy? Or you kind of not watch much TV? That I watch? Yeah, that you have watched over the last few years. It's been good for you. I mean, there's so many great shows, but I do like, you know, uh, Sex, Death, and Bowling. No, so, uh, no, that was a movie I was in. Uh, it's, uh, it's Love, Death, and Robots. Oh, really? That's a good one? Oh, yeah, it's, it's like a, a cartoon, but it's a little dark. I mean, it's it's kind of like Black Mirror, but the cartoon version. Well, it's okay. funny. Like, I just I got out of this whole, like, soapbox about how, you know, there's all these net stories that are dark and then i my my favorite one is the darkest one <laughs> <laughs> i mean just because you can still be on a soapbox and just be like all right like you're 46 and can enjoy it but like imagine like a 12 year old or 15 year old or 18 year old like watching something like that that maybe hasn't developed the self-awareness that you have or the mindset that you currently have or doesn't have the right people around them that yeah it could be something that they may not want to engage with if they're if they're able to yeah, I mean, look, we we like drama. Like that's just it's just natural. It's like rubbernecking at a car wreck. We just like to see gladiators go at it. That's in our nature. I just, yeah. Right now, I want I want to try and put my life force to. I, I just the world. I think needs something more than that kind of entertainment right now. That's what I want to contribute to. So cool, man, to hear you say that because it's like you just you can just hear the transformation in your story throughout the comments that you've made recently and like how you're just being more selective. You're not going to exploit yourself for money. You really want to do projects that are meaningful and that you're like kind of aligned with your own integrity. And I know a lot of that relates to what you're doing now with Earth Speed, what you're doing now with Ducantra and the Lonely Whale. So I'm sure you have like a lot of irons in the fire at the moment with those things. Like what's one of the projects that you're most excited about right now? Earth Speed is a perfect example of uh, the kind of communications I want to put out there. I, I really am proud of that channel, and it's just begun, but we're telling stories of nature-based living lifestyle, and we could all use that. I mean, the more opportunities we have to connect with nature, the more we can develop our skills of self-reliance and resistance, the more we can become anti-fragile and capable as individuals, the less reliant we will be on centralized distribution systems, on Amazon, on governments, on, you know, all these things that, as COVID demonstrated, are a little bit flimsy and are not necessarily going to support us when push comes to shove. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's time that we start to really take a step back from this vision of, you know, capitalism, globalization, being able to like care for everybody and really start to think about how can we care for ourselves and how can we care for each other on a very local level. So Earth Speed, I'm very proud of, and we hope to start bringing more classes and courses and how-to videos so that we can all start to learn how to do it ourselves and, and be more participatory in our lives and more connected with our hands and in our bodies and our minds and our hearts and each other in harmony with nature. Super interesting, man. And I love it. I think it's so cool to hear, like, I know I've said that your transformation story, but how you have kind of come back to like your roots. Cause I know that you always like, even like in your earlier on in your acting career, you were somebody who wanted to do things 
for purpose and for meaning and for and do projects that were kind of true to who you were. And you've always kind of been involved with wanting to improve the environment and get people to think the way that you're thinking now. And now it's all kind of come back together with earth speed. And I just think it's, it's admirable, man. I think people are going to want to connect with you. I think people are going to want to watch and listen to what you have to say on earth speed and everything else you're doing. So like, where's the best place for people to find out more about that and, and watch earth speed. I mean, it's earth speed on Instagram and YouTube for now, but as I mentioned, we're growing slowly it's a lifestyle in the cadence of nature. So we're not rushing. We're not looking to scale and get likes because what would happen is that that's audience capture where we're just doing the most sensational things just to get attention. So we really want to be measured and paced out and patient. Yeah. I mean, look, I, I used to really soapbox a lot as an environmental UN environment ambassador starting campaigns and as a celebrity telling everybody how to be more environmentally responsible. And there's a quote that says, when I was young and clever, tried to change the world. And now I am wise and I changed myself. That's where I'm at right now. I'm not, I'm not trying to tell anybody or preach. I'm really just trying to be it and live it and inviting people in to share that experience with me. So EarthSpeed is the place to come if, uh, if you're interested in that. Amazing. Well, I will make sure to include like all the links to that stuff in the show notes, because again, I think people are going to be fascinated by what you've created and going to hopefully learn like something about how they can improve their relationship with nature, farming and doing stuff themselves. They're going to look forward to looking into that after this episode. So Adrian, I wanted to thank you again for your time. This has been great. And for those listening, what I invite you to do is to share a takeaway. Maybe it was something that Adrian said about his healing journey. Maybe it was something that he said about his relationship with fame or coming out of Hollywood. Maybe it was something that he just recently shared about coming back to meaning and purpose in his life and what he's doing with Earth Speed. Whatever it was, make sure to share the takeaway, tag Adrian, tag myself, because we'd love to hear your feedback. And we once again, thank you for listening to this episode of the Adversity Advantage. I'm your host, Doug Bobst, and we'll see you next time.